Welcome to Ideas Into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality. No matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe. As you heard, Ideas into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking. At Canvas Coworking, we're passionate about building the startup ecosystem in our region and beyond, connecting entrepreneurs, designers, developers, hackers, makers, hipsters, creatives, mentors, and investors. We're a not-for-profit incorporated association with an objective to support those who want to turn their ideas into reality. Since mid-2015, our community have been coming together to work, learn, and connect here at Canvas Coworking and online. We're located on Ruthven Street in Toowoomba, a small, beautiful city in the southeast of Queensland, the Sunshine State of Australia. Yet we know that many people don't really know yet what we do here or why we're here or how to become involved. So we hope that the information that you hear on this podcast will help you understand that all a little bit better and make you feel confident to join in whenever you're ready. So you can find out more at canvascoworking.com.au and reach out to us anytime. Kim Edwards was the founder and international director of Sea English Academy International, a company that she started with her best friend who lived in another country at the time. For 10 years, Kim provided vision and leadership authored a school curriculum and teaching materials, mentored an international team, conducted training in 26 locations in 17 countries around the world and created a business with franchises that saw it become one of the world's fastest growing and awarded English language schools. These achievements earned Kim the Outstanding Businesswoman of the Year and Outstanding Business Person of the Year awards. Kim's recently returned from seven years living and working in Saudi Arabia and joins me in this week's episode to share some of the things she learned in her journey of turning her idea into reality. So welcome, Kim. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really keen to understand what was actually going on in your life around the time that you actually got this initial idea to start your business. Well, actually, right at the time was was not a great time in my life, but it's funny because I actually talk to a lot of businesswomen and and often a lot of businesswomen do exactly the same. So so it is worth telling. But I was actually, um, I was recently divorced um, and because my husband and I had been working together with, for the same organisation, then I also found myself having to 
uh, find new work, start a new career, find a new place to, to live. So there was a whole lot of changes all happening at the same time. And I do remember clearly uh, thinking, gosh, what do I do now? You know, when, when sort of the, the rugs pulled out from under you and your whole world changed, um, I, I did have that moment where I just sat there going, gosh, what, what do I do? And I remember thinking, well, the only thing I can really do is, is, um, is to teach <laughs> to teach English and and to so I thought right well I'm going to have to start my own business and I'd always had a dream of starting my own college I'd always wanted to um, start something with my work ethic and my culture and my experience and so this was the perfect opportunity because you've suddenly got this complete blank canvas and a whole opportunity so out of a difficult time it does give you time to rethink reassess and reinvent yourself and that's exactly what I did. As someone who's also been divorced I totally understand well done on actually making it happen because it's it can be a really scary time. So in getting that idea and going, okay, I'm going to start my own college, what did you do, what steps did you actually take to, to turn it from an idea into something? Very humble beginnings. Um, I, I actually did go to a bank to try and get finance, but, but really, you know, with no collateral and, and newly single and all of that, the banks just kind of look, looked at me like I was strange. <laughs> And so I had to really start with absolutely nothing. And so um, I had a I had a very good friend, and we had talked about doing this t- together. And so I contact um, well, just to backtrack. So what I actually did was I looked at how much cash I did have, not a lot, um, just just under a thousand dollars. That was it. That was all I had. And it was like, all right, either I can buy a car or I can start a business. And and I do remember going to the, uh, just walking into the office of Fair Trading with like nothing. I had to walk there and registering a business name. So that was actually the first thing I did. It was that simple. I just walked in. They had the forms there. Back then, I don't think they would have been online, but I remember walking in, picking up a paper form, filling it in there and then and submitting and just handing it to to the girl across the counter. And then I rang my friend and I just said, I I said, hey, I started a business. Um, It was kind of that simple. But then to to get it actually then going, uh, what I had to do was all of those really basic stuff. So I remember cleaning, I remember waitressing, I mean, driving taxis. Uh, My friend was working at her parents farm managing it so so she was uh, able to contribute a little bit as well working and sending money and you know even though we're in two different countries it was just really that basic it was it was not grand it was not fancy I was I'd moved back into my parents house so it was it was pretty much started on the dining room table at my my parents place and so like I said, it was just that simple. And so we only did did things as we had money. So I remember the first thing we bought was we made was was business cards, you know. So I remember getting that $50 and going and ordering enough business cards that, that I could afford. It was really, really humble, really simple, simple start. It wasn't anything fancy at all. It was just that simple. So when we hear about people who start with like a $100 startup, that was you. 
it was a couple of hundred dollars and you could get started. But obviously you had passion and you had a, a purpose as well. So I imagine that in making that decision to start that business, to put that name on the page and say, this is what I'm going to do and call your friend in another country and say, this is what I'm doing. Are you are you in? Are you going to join the ride? Where did that come from? Like that passion for what you wanted to do? Um, like I said, I've always, um, I've been teaching English and I've been training English te- teachers for a number of years and, and, and I'd always loved it. So even though I wasn't an academic, I found that this whole world of, of, of teaching and mentoring people and training people, I just loved it. And I just um, had an instant passion for it. Um, but it, it, at the time, it was a very academic um, environment as well or an academic landscape and so I wanted to create something where people who just loved to teach or people who loved loved other pe- people or loved to to travel they were the clients that I wanted or that was really the the audience that I knew was out there because I was one of them and and at the time if you wanted to be trained to be a teacher of English you had it was a postgraduate course it was not offered at a you know a vet training level and so, uh, so again, it was very academically motivated. And, and yet I found that the people who made the best teachers were the ones who were not the academics, but the ones who loved culture and loved learning and, and, and loved um, that experience and interchanging um, with, with people at, on this level. So that, so that was kind of the, the motivation really and the passion because really I, one thing I learned early on when I first got into this career was if you can teach somebody English, you're not just changing a person. It has the power to impact a whole village, a whole community, a whole a whole family. It, it was so life-changing because being able to, to teach English actually gave people access to further education or gave people access to jobs or gave people access to travel. So it's when, you, when you're learning another language, particularly English, um, then it, it's not just an academic qualification. It's actually the, re- the motivation and why people want to learn, learn English is actually so that then they can go and pursue other things. So it's very much a destination skill. And so that's really where the passion came from. And, and I have travelled a lot and I've, I just had seen it so firsthand. One of the first things I did actually was to train a group of teachers who then, or they were medics actually, but they were doing a program in Cambodia and they found that even though they were doing medical work, what really was the most life-changing for that community was to to teach them English. So here's me with a group of doctors who came to me and said, we want to learn how to teach English and they're much more qualified than I am, but their whole passion was the same as mine. And so they went off and we ended up, we started a language school in Cambodia as a result of that. So, So that's what I mean by just the power to impact um, a whole community is 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 really what drives me and it still does. The passion certainly comes through and as an avid traveller myself I certainly understand that when you go different places and you want to be able to help the people in that community. Uh, being able to communicate with them obviously is the first step and English obviously is a widely spoken language around the world but not everyone can speak it but if they can it adds so much value and we're looking to do some work with some Indonesian uh, organizations and that's actually part of the thing so we might have to get you in on that as well but that's a side note for another time <laughs> so so in starting that journey obviously you had the passion you had the skill you had obviously enough money to to fill in the form and scrape things by and and do other jobs but what was that road like once you actually got started in actually 
making this into a business, into a viable business, getting out, delivering the service to people. How did that go for you? Um, at the time, I was new to, to business. So I, I, I had done 23 years of relief and development work. So I was good with people. I was good at facilitating teams and um, organising the logistics but my focus has always been around people so I really took that into the business and so really the first steps for me was things like um, networking so I started to go to lots of networking functions and and that was really twofold one one thing was uh, yes I was there promoting my business and starting to get the word out but Actually, it was like then I was learning how to do business at the same time because I was meeting and mixing with like-minded people. So going to networking events, my goodness, I would, I would, I would come home with this whole group of business cards, but I and and I would then make the point of doing the basic things like emailing those people straight away as soon as I got home. So well, I was fresh in their mind, like, hey, it was really great to, to meet you. Um, I was I was meeting people. I'd, I'd meet someone. I'd think, wow. Well, if I need an accountant, that person might be really good because I've met them at a networking function. I know what they're like. Or gee, if I need this, then that person's really good. So I just sort of really saw the value of gathering good people around me, learning from everybody. I'd, I was just a sponge, you know. I was going to these networking functions like just so interested in what everyone else was doing. And I also found encouraging because look, look, lots of people have the same story, you know. You can see someone in business and you can think, wow, they, they must be really, you know, have it all, to, all together. But really we're all on the same journey ourselves, but it's really important to to get the right network around you. And that's the, probably really the first thing I really learned in business and that's really what got me going as far as getting a business model to, to, together, just meeting and talk, talking with the right people and gathering inspiring ones around me. And, and of course, you know, one person and you meet somebody else and you meet some, somebody else and that, that's actually how it works. But that's really what started it. I think the second key for me in making it into a business model, a proper business model, was not just the networking and the relationships, but also the understanding the difference between branding and marketing. And I think that was probably one of the number, the biggest thing I took away in those early days. And it's something I I, I love to try and help people with as well because um, when you are marketing something, you are just selling something. You are looking for a transaction. When you are branding your business, you are then establishing your culture, you're making a statement about who you are, you are defining who you are, you're articulating who you are and and you are then what you create and what you're selling um, is not a product but a destination. And so that difference between marketing, branding, then it's suddenly that, uh, that then was able to help us work out even our corporate colours. What what were our corporate colours going to be? And so so you know what what do I, what do I want my office to actually look like? What's my office going to communicate? What's my dress going to communicate? What's my what's the colours that I have on my business cards and on my logos and all of that? What's that communicating? All of those things are really important. So that's really those two key things is what took it from being an idea and just something that was fun to to do into actually making it into a business. Great points there. And I think one of the the key things that people often forget is that if you don't really intentionally 
put forward what you want your brand to be, it will just evolve into something that perhaps isn't you at all. And it's just what other people perceive you to be. And that's often what gets people a little bit distracted on their journey, I think, in then having to reinvent themselves and rebrand themselves because it never aligned in the beginning. So great points. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the word you said there is a word I use a lot and that's intention. And having an intentionality uh, mindset in your business is what is the game changer, I think, from my experience. So, um, uh, like, look at who you want to gather around you, look at who you want to get advice with, but be intentional about it. You know, have have a have small goals, but yeah, really refining that. And I find a lot of business people get so caught up in the running of their business. And I know it's a slogan, and I know we hear it all the time. But gosh, there's so much truth in it. The fact the difference between working in your business and working on your business, and and people who are intentional are the ones who work on their business. Couldn't agree more. We see it every day. So on your journey, obviously you have uh, taken several steps and, and I know in a previous conversation we've had, you've talked about some of the things that you've learned along the way, particularly going into different countries with different cultures where maybe you've made a bit of a faux pas along the way unintentionally without knowing even that it was possibly going to be an issue. When you've faced those things, what have you done to pick yourself up and learn from from those things that maybe haven't gone quite right on the journey? Yes, it's very different uh, running your business in, in Australia or in a particular re- region. And if you do well, you'll find that your region is pretty small, actually. I think Australians are good at exporting because we only have a market of 30 million pe- people. So really, almost every business in Australia should be exporting. We're We've got a great platform to export. Australia is a great brand. Uh, exporting is a whole nother thing. We exported quite quickly. It was it was really part of our whole business because we were working cross-culturally, our clients and, our, you know, all of that where we were t- t- teaching and so on was all international. So we had an international mindset right from the start. Um, but, yeah, boy, oh, gosh, I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> Just... I think I've done them all. Well, probably not, but I I'm probably if I haven't done them, I will do them. I still make make mistakes. Even I've just finished working in Saudi Arabia for seven years, and I, you know, you think you know the Middle East culture, but no, there's always something to to learn. Um, and I've seen other people make um, huge mistakes, and because they haven't taken the time to really really get to know a culture you can't go in thinking the way that we do it is the right way because the minute you go overseas and you try and start exporting your business there's a whole nother set of criteria there which is completely foreign to the way we do business and and this can be in everything from from how you greet somebody to um, even your form of communication. So some countries, in the West, we can pretty much do our businesses remotely as far as emails, phone calls. Um, we can do that very, very well, even Zoom meetings, but there's a lot of cultures there. The minute you're not there in person, then you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Um, so the momentum drops significantly. Even uh, gift giving, some cultures are very, very strong in gift giving. Australians, we don't give gifts every time I go to a business meeting. In Australia, people would think I'd be weird if I turned up to every business thing here and gave everyone a gift. Um, but when you are attending meetings in, in Asia in particular, you, you must have gifts 
and they must be the right gifts. They've got to be the appropriate gifts. And that's where I've made some real big faux pas um, in my gifts. <laughs> so, um, but it can also be learning the importance of, um, so, for example, in Asia, a lot of meetings are held not in offices. They're often held in restaurants and or in hotels and hotel lobbies because um, well, there, there's a number of reasons, but and that's something that we're not foreign, uh, not familiar with. In Australia, uh, we generally go to somebody's office. We want to see their office. Um, that, that's a normal thing. Where in Asia, it's it's often you don't go to, to, to their office. They may not have an office, or if they have an office, it's a tiny thing. They don't want to show you it. So, so most meetings are held in hotels, in banquet halls, in restaurants, or in hotel lobbies. That's what I mean. There's so many things that people just don't underestimate, don't really appreciate when they first start exporting. I can only imagine the mistakes that I've made in the past that perhaps I didn't even realise was a mistake as well, just reflecting back on some of the things that I've done on my business travels. So it's probably one of those things where you kind of go, yeah, that didn't really end up the way I wanted to and you reflect on it. And I guess sometimes you learn and sometimes you don't what you did wrong, but uh, certainly where you do, you try your best not to do it again. I mean, uh, one example is I gave a clock at a meeting and uh, as, a, as a gift after a, a meeting. And I bought the clock even in an Asian shop, you know, so I thought it was the right thing to do. It was very cute. It had koala and kangaroo on it. It was very lovely. It was a gift from Australia. It was made out of wood and stuff. It was beautiful. And uh, I gave this, this this gift, this clock at the end of the meeting and, you know, I never heard from them again and yet we were, I had thought the meeting had gone so well and I thought we were about to sign a contract. Gosh, and then it was only much later that I I'd mentioned it to someone and, and then they had told me what I'd done wrong and they said, no, you should never give a clock because that signifies that our, our time is up, <laughs> time is over. So I was like, oh, no one tell, tells you the, the, these things, nobody warns you. I've seen meetings where people have got quite angry j- during a meeting because uh, because of misunderstandings. The minute you get angry in another culture particularly, oh, my gosh, that, then that, that's it, the whole relationship is over. I've seen uh, where people have lost contracts contracts over really simple things like not even understanding the rules of contracts. So in our culture, when we sign a contract, it generally means that we have finished our ne- negotiation and what's in the contract goes. Whereas in other cultures, signing a contract actually means, okay, now we're serious, now we're going to start to negotiate. So... Uh, and a lot of, I've seen Australians go, but that's wrong and these things are in the contract. They say, no, you haven't understood. So it just means that now we have a contract. Okay, those things are in there, but that's just our starting point. Now we're going to ne- negotiate the things in the contract. So that's what I mean. It's just uh, so many triggers that can really make or break you as an exporter. There's a lot in that. And I think we could probably talk about some of those things for a long time. But for now, as well as a few things that you've done wrong, I'm sure there's lots of things you've done right and some things that you're probably particularly proud of. So in, in what you've achieved, what do you think are some of your proudest moments? Oh, I've got so many things I'm proud of, uh, mainly because of our team. I really built up a really fa- fabulous team and we were one of the first companies to franchise our an education company in Australia. So be- before that, franchising in, in this particular field had never really been done pre- previously. So I was very proud of that. We were one of the first at the time. I don't think we realised we were really groundbreaking in that area, but we certainly were. We also started a lot of uh, schools and training programs in places that nobody else would go to. 
And so we were very pioneering and we had a very high social justice ethics in, in the company before it was the thing to actually do, so before everyone else was doing it. And I can remember having some financial advisors saying once wanting me to close down parts of the company that weren't particularly profitable. But no, I refused because I went, no, because not more of what we're about. We're not driven by profit. We're, we're driven by what we're doing. And so we ended up with um, remote teacher training programs in quite a few countries in Africa, throughout Asia. I ran the first ever teacher training program in Siberia, uh, which was just fantastic. It was minus 25 degrees the whole time I was there. (laughs) It's a bit of a shock for me, but we also ran a fabulous program training teachers with the government in northern China, up near the Mongolian border. So we've just done some fantastic things. We opened a school in Afghanistan, um, so, like I said, we did so many things that were just very pioneering and very exciting. I'm very proud of all of those endeavours. As you should be by the sound of that. I think that's awesome. And minus 25, I think I get a little bit nervous when it gets to like five degrees. So <laughs> minus 25 is a bit extreme. So you've made the decision along the way to uh, sell your business. So you've exited out of that business. And I imagine that probably wasn't an easy decision. What went on there and, and how did that come about? Well, I think every business has to recognise its cycles as well. And so you've always got to have your an exit strategy. And my business partner, Ingrid, and I, we're still best friends, which I think is the greatest result. We always knew that, hey, the minute we don't love it anymore, then it's time to move, move on. So it was. It came at a time where both of us wanted to, we'd kind of achieved everything we'd wanted to achieve. Uh, we'd won heaps of business awards, which was just fantastic. I don't, you know, I, I don't negate them at all, but, you know, I won Businesswoman of the Year. I won Business Person of the Year, Beat the Boys, which was great. Uh, we'd won uh, export awards every year for three or four years. We'd, we'd just won so many business awards. So we knew in the business world we'd really achieved a lot. We had so many wonderful friends and teachers that were doing what they were doing because of the business. We, we really loved it. But I, I had wanted to return full-time to working um, overseas. And even though I was travelling a lot with the business, I had this, this little thing that I thought, right, I'm getting, not getting any younger. I need to, to do it now. So um, and in Ingrid's had some personal things she wanted to pursue. And then so after 10 years as well, 10, 10 years is a, a critical point for any business. And so we just decided to go out on a bang, on a high, really. We just decided, right, we're, we're right at the top of our game. We're right at the top of our field. We're going to sell the business. So And we did. And we had, um, we had a buyer come along right at a per- perfect time for us. And, um, yeah, it all just went really well. And so because of that, I was able to then go on to Saudi Arabia and I've been in Saudi for the last seven years and and was able to achieve, uh, just had a fantastic role over there as a pioneering principal and just um, have had a fantastic journey with all of that as well. So everything has been a great part of that whole journey, really. Sounds super exciting. I just, yeah, love hearing people's stories and particularly where they've ended well. That's really nice. It doesn't always end well. So have a good ending to something and leave on the high. I think that's that's a really lovely way. But as you said, you need an exit strategy. You need to think, okay, at one one yes. point this this will end and to be happy about it is is a really great thing. So well done. 
Thank you. I think pe people get really caught up in their identity with their businesses and that's why I never named the school after myself because my business is what I did but again it has to be separate from who you are. You still have to be able to grow as a person and pursue dreams and your own visions and reinvent yourself so so it was a good test for that as well. Like, gosh, am I really caught up in this? Because my face was used on some of the marketing. So I had my face on the side of buildings and stuff, which is really embarrassing. But yeah, it was a good, it was good to know. No, it wasn't, it wasn't just my identity in it as yeah, well. Great point. And a good thing if you haven't named your business yet to keep that in mind. Now, obviously you spent, as you said, the last seven years in Saudi and now you're back in Australia. Do you want to share with us, if you're able to, what you're looking to do next? What's the, the next thing on your radar? Yes, well, I, I left Saudi after seven fabulous years and I absolutely loved it and I was very privileged to be there during some significant times during the country's history, which was uh, that women could drive, for example. I was there for all of that. And um, I was a pioneering principal for women's vocational college, just as women were able to, to study um, trade skills. So that was just fantastic. It's, it's just um, wonderful to be a part of something so pioneering in this day and age. Um, now I'm looking, I'd, I'd love, I'm looking for a role which I can continue to manage and inspire and to lead. So I am looking for a management role. The last few months with the global situation has really been a game changer. There's been a, a delay in, in moving into something straight away. So I am looking for areas and roles where I can mentor and continue to just grow and inspire. That's where I'm at at the moment. And so glad that we've connected at a perfect time because with our Flare Incubator coming up, I know you're going to be a mentor for us through that program. So we're very excited to have you on board and thank you for agreeing to do that. So if people, perhaps they have an opportunity for you or want to engage with you to find out a little bit more around your story, how can people connect with you? What's your preferred platform for connection? Um, people can contact me on LinkedIn, actually. I think LinkedIn is fantastic. And Australians don't tend to use LinkedIn as much as they should. And we certainly use a lot overseas. So again, if you're wanting to export or grow your business, you must have a good LinkedIn profile. So people can find me on, on LinkedIn and contact me through there. So we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to catch up with Kim, uh, update your LinkedIn profile first and then send her a message and connect. So <laughs> make sure it looks good. Now, I've got one other thing, and I know you've probably touched on it a little bit earlier on, but in, in starting your business and growing and exiting, if you were chatting to someone who said, you know, I've got this idea for a business, have you got a, a key lesson? And I know you've shared a couple already, but sort of that one thing that you think, okay, if, if I'm going to give someone some advice about starting to turn their idea into reality, what would it be? I think the first thing you have to do is define who your audience is. I, I do see a lot of people with great ideas and look, there's, there's so many people with great ideas and you and passion and, and you, you don't want to stifle that, but you do have to kind of stop and think, who is my audience? Don't spread yourself too thin. Don't be chasing after so many di di different things. So, again, it's a little bit of that self-reflection and even having somebody come alongside and help you because often you can't see it in yourself. Um, but if you can express it to somebody else, somebody else objectively can look at your business and what you're doing and probably pull out those things easier than what you can sometimes. So that that would probably be my number one thing is to, is to really define who you are but who your audience is is probably I think very very important so so that would probably be my takeaway tip and that's a a great tip I think if you don't know 
your audience. It's very hard to talk to them, to address the problem they have, a whole host of things. Can I yeah, for sure. back, back that up a bit? I, I was on the board of t- tourism here for a year and, and what I found, again, what I would notice about things was depending on who your audience is, even the imagery you use on your website will have a huge impact. So some imagery may attract people, but that same imagery will repel others. So one example would be if your audience is an Asian market, then then you don't want to have photos of empty beaches. So that might appeal to Australians and New Zealanders and Americans and Europeans. They will want to see photos of empty beaches and beautiful environment. But an Asian market won't. They want to see photos of classrooms and buildings and structure and lots of people. So even thinking about culturally about your, your image and, again, it has to really be targeted towards your audience and also who's your audience, who's going to be spending the money. So we found with our business, okay, students we were looking for young people students but it was actually the parents who were the decision makers so we had to really target everything to our decision makers so again that's what I mean by really working out who your audience is because then that will help you to put some action exactly where it needs to be done. Perfect. And I know that I actually just did our last startup lesson on the podcast about that topic exactly. So you might have listened to it this morning (laughs) or not. I'm sure it's a, it is a thing. So that's just back up for me. So that's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kim. Before we do wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to share or let us know about? Uh, no, but I do want to say congratulations too on your pro- on the FLAIR program. I think fantastic initiative and well done you for submitting it and putting it all to, 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 together. So just congratulations. Thank you very much. We're very excited. It has been quite a journey to get to this point, but I'm super stoked now that we can start talking about it and sharing and actually get some teams in and help them to do what it is that they're wanting to do, which is what you've done. Yeah, albeit over the last, you know, 20 years, you've been there, walked that path. So I can only imagine. Actually, I've I've got one question then for you. So if you were at the very beginning of your journey and someone come along and said, you know, I've, I've got experience in doing what you want to do, you know, starting a business that's going to be international. How do you think you would have responded to them suggesting that you might actually need some help and that it might be a little bit harder than what you think it's going to be? I would have loved to have had a mentor. Um, I think I think I pulled in a few mentors without them realising, just people that I gleaned again from all that net- networking and those kind of strategies which I used. I mean, it was really pioneering days back, back, back then, uh, not just for that type of business but um, for English language at the same time. And, yeah, it was a whole another thing. But, oh, no, d- definitely would have loved somebody to come along and say, I can help you with that. That would have been fantastic. It probably would have made my life easier. <laughs> Well, that's great news. Well, hopefully everyone who's listening, who's in that position, thinks the same and checks out what Flare Incubator is about and, and puts in an application and potentially comes join us. So that will be great. Well, thanks again, Kim. Really appreciate your time today. Looking forward to working with you further on Flare as well as we move forward. Yeah, hopefully your story inspires someone else to take that leap and make it happen. Thank you. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether your role is a technical founder or the hustler, you need to work on building your network. As people, we tend to do business with other people that we know, like and trust. 
even though we can sometimes feel like we get to know people we don't actually know due to the amount that they share on social media, it generally doesn't extend our feelings of trust and connection as it does when we've conducted a real conversation with visual and audible cues accompanying the dialogue. Over the past few months, we may have become more accustomed to building our relationships and networks digitally than we ever have before. Necessity is the mother of invention. So Zoom, the option to see and hear someone else, is the next best thing to actually meeting in person. So aside from the platform of the meeting, it is the conversation that ensues that usually determines whether a meet becomes more, if there's a spark created by a common interest, goal or purpose, if there is a desire to communicate again, and then if there's enough to actually make that happen. It isn't hard to send a follow-up email to someone that you've met at an event or by chance, such as in an elevator. Yet, how many people actually do that? And if they send one email, do they follow up to encourage that relationship to grow? Too often, we see attendance at a networking event as a box ticked in the list of things to do for the week, with no purpose applied to the actual attendance. Why bother going if you don't know why you are going? The purpose doesn't need to be as specific as saying, I'll meet Jane from XYZ Company, although it could be if the attendance list has been published in advance. However, being clear with yourself about your purpose can help you to determine what action to take, who to talk to, what to talk about, and what to do after you've met someone. The latter could be anything from Send them an email immediately after the event to acknowledge the meeting and note any particular points to refer back to later. And if they validate a particular assumption, add them to your future opportunity list with the desired date to follow up and a note about why. Using a platform such as LinkedIn for connections can be very helpful as the owner of the information keeps it up to date for you, unlike a spreadsheet or a pile of business cards. However, It is also a good idea to have a system to keep a list of people you want to stay in touch with for various purposes, such as the potential service provider, potential investor, a great dot connector, and of course, potential customers. The saying, it's not what you know, but who you know, has much more than an inch of truth to it. When you're starting out on your entrepreneurial journey, look for groups in your community and online to connect with. But remember, To be part of a network, you need to engage. Don't just wait for opportunities to come knocking. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas Into Reality episode. And we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and let your friends know too. They might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites, canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey and I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode.